Zesty provides an autonomous cloud experience by leveraging advanced AI technology to manage the cloud for you. Their AI reacts in real time to capacity changes and enables companies to maximize cloud efficiency and reduce their AWS bill by more than 50% completely hands-free. Cloud on autopilot. With Zesty, companies can spend less and do more. Check them out at zesty.co. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today, we are talking about infrastructure as code and cloud development kits with Michael Levan. And man, he really he really helped clarify some things for me around what a CDK even is and maybe gave me uh, a little, you know, pushing the ribs to actually start learning a programming language instead of just doing everything in Terraform. Oh, what about you, Ethan? He demystified CDKs for me enormously. Anytime I've heard in the dev world something about a development kit, it just sounds, it's always sounded intimidating to me. Like, oh, it's this big, <laughs> complicated thing. And unless I've had years of training and practice as a developer, I'm not going to even understand what this whole development kit thing is. I, I'm not going to tell you how. You'll get it when you listen. But he really demystified it and made it very straightforward for me to get my head around what a development kit is and even not as a full-time developer, as an ops infrastructure person, I'm keen to get stuck into a CDK and maybe do something with it. Yeah, it actually, it drove me to want to use it. So mm. enjoy this episode with Michael Levan. Well, Michael, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Before we get into the tech and the topic of this episode, first, I got to talk about your Twitter handle, man, because it is the NJ DevOps guy. You're <laughs> leaning hard into both New Jersey and DevOps. Tell me a little more about that. Yeah, I, it was probably a mistake now that I think about it, because like <laughs> once, de once DevOps goes away, and it will at some point, um, everybody's going to be like, what is this in 20 years if I'm still on Twitter or Twitter still around? Uh, yeah. So I think it was just one of those things where I was like, yeah, I'm in DevOps. I'm from New Jersey. It's like, yeah, it's just put it together. Uh, but yeah, pro pro probably a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think DevOps will be around for, for a little while, at least people while. know what it is. And ultimately <laughs> you can change your handle eventually, you know, you can. Yeah. Cause I have before. Um, but it's just like, like luckily when I did it before I didn't have like a social media following or anything. Um, so it's a little bit easier, but if I do it now, it's like the amount of time that it's been set on podcasts <laughs> and where it's written, it's like, I'm just never going to try to play that game. <laughs> uh, you're just locked in. And you know, once you're from New Jersey, you're never not from New Jersey. I yeah, think exactly. that's the important thing there to remember. Go. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And I'm still here. So it's good. There you go. All right. Well, we wanted to have you on the show to talk about your adventures in DevOps. So leading back to your Twitter handle and especially around infrastructure as code and using stuff like Terraform and CDKs. So let's start there. Uh, how did you get started with infrastructure as code? Was there like an inciting moment for you where you're like, ah, I need IAC in my life? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, probably the biggest thing was just the simple fact that like I, I never liked clicking around a UI. Um, I think probably since like my inception in, in the IT space, I've always tried to figure out a way to automate something. You know, I remember like the first thing I probably ever did was to like pull uh, virtual machines and stuff with like PowerShell, you know, and mm -hmm. um you know, ever since then, it was like, you know, that's always been from the beginning and, and leading up to now, I've always been like, how can I not have to click around a UI to do this? Because um, number one, it's very error prone. And number two, it <laughs> could be a little bit boring, right? I think writing code is a little bit more fun. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's definitely started, you know, right at the beginning. And now at this point, I'm pretty much more like, I need to, I, I always want to create repeatable processes. Like I never want to be in a situation where three engineers are in a room, um, you know, and they're all working on the same thing, but they're doing it a little bit differently. You know, this person's spinning up an EC2 instance with a public IP address accidentally. This person's spinning up an EC2 instance on the default VPC instead of the production VPC. Like there's just so <laughs> many things that could happen that I'm just kind of like, nope, let's just make it repeatable. Let's put everything in code. Everybody knows what's happening. It's in GitHub. Great. 
I mean, you can make a repeatable process with a UI. You can make a mistake every time. It's repeatable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah, it might be a resume updating event on a Friday yeah. night, but yeah. <laughs> so, Michael, did you come from a computer science background? Like, so you kind of knew programming yeah. and that sort of stuff, or you just kind of figured it out? Nope. You know what? It's, it's actually really funny. Like, tech was my plan B. Um, and then it ended up being the thing that I'm become very passionate about. Uh, when I first graduated high school, I went to a trade school for personal training. Um, I was really into fitness my whole life, uh, played football, a bunch of different sports and stuff. And so I wanted to be a personal trainer. I did that for about six months. Um, I realized very quickly, I did not like it. So I was like, all right, I was like, well, the plan B, you know, my mom was always like, well, there's all this stuff happening in technology and this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, I'm like, I guess I'll do that. Cause I'm going to make some money. Um, and you know, yeah. And it ended up being like, that's really what I was passionate about. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Do you think there's anything that transferred over from the personal training or that, uh, like physical health mentality over to your passion for tech? Are there some parallels there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so number one, um, I think physical fitness is very important from a mindset perspective. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer that like, if I don't go to the gym for a week versus if I do, my mindset is very different. Um, I'm way less stressed when I'm going to the gym. I'm far more focused, all that stuff. Um, and also, you know, with personal training, like there's a lot of sales that go into it. Um, and there's a lot of marketing that goes into it. Cause you gotta be like, Hey, give me $10,000 to make me <laughs> like change your body. Right? Um, right. And it's the same thing with technology, like especially because I've been consulting and, and selling myself for so long. It's like, Hey, give me X amount of money so I can create this thing for you. So in, in the soft skills perspective, um, there's a lot of overlap for sure. Okay. So I think when I look at the, the broad spectrum of ops folks and info folks that I have met, uh, they all seem like they started with a basic scripting background. Is that sort of how you started building up with something like PowerShell or Bash? Yep, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I never, I mean, like I've gotten to the point in my career where I've had dev roles where I was like creating applications and stuff. But in, in the beginning, like I started out in like help desk, sysadmin type of stuff when I graduated school. So yeah, it was all about like automation and stuff like that. And that's actually what kept my interest. You know, like, like I said, I went into these dev roles and it was cool, but my passion and like what I was interested in always went down to like the, how do I automate this? And how do I make this a repeatable process? That, that's the type of code that I like to write. Yeah. Okay. So I think some folks see that move from scripting to something like IAC as a big, scary thing. Cause if they don't, they don't have that, you know, background in real programming or what they think of as real programming like no i just write a bash script to get something done and that's it you know maybe there's some error handling Uh, do ops folks need to become a full stack developer to embrace this stuff Uh, or are they going to be out of a job if they don't good question um i do believe that at this so i'm gonna i'm gonna throw something very vague out and then i'm gonna explain it at this point everybody needs to be a developer now, when okay. I say now, when I say that, I don't mean you have to go and write the next Twitter or the next Instagram, right? What I'm saying is you have to be able to write that bash script or that PowerShell script, right? And you know, if you think to yourself, oh, but I gotta know how to do this in, in programming that functions are functions, variables are variables, right? Methods are methods. Like it's all the same thing. It's just Mm. the the, the biggest difference is how you're writing it and what you're writing it for. That's really the biggest difference. So if you understand code and you understand like development and programming and stuff, like I said, you don't have to go and create this whole, you know, next Twitter or next Instagram. You just have to understand coding practices. Um, Now, in terms of like, you know, will people be out of a job if they don't understand code and automation? I do believe so. Yeah. Like hmm. you're, I think it's, it's very difficult right now. If you were go to, if you were to go on LinkedIn and you were to look at, you know, DevOps roles or SRE roles or infrastructure engineer roles, like even um, it's very difficult to find a job posting right now that does not include something along the lines of must know at least PowerShell bash, yada, 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 Terraform, mm-hmm. something, something. Um, it's very difficult to not, to not find that on a job posting anymore. And so it's pretty, 
you know, at this point, yeah, everybody definitely needs to know how to code to some extent. In other words, companies are making the shift. Finally, we're seeing, well, (laughs) so Michael, my background is networking, which has really lagged Mm -hmm. behind automation by a few years, let's say. The tooling Mm -hmm. wasn't quite there. The interfaces haven't been there. Uh, and so it's just been a, a slower process and people with more fear because the blast radius, if they get it, if they get it wrong is fairly significant. Sure. Even so, uh, we're at a point in industry, as you're pointing out, where you can't not know these things come at your infrastructure as code. Think about how you're going to hit it with a tool, not log in and clicky clicky. All the UIs are there. Yeah. You can, but that's just not the efficient way to do it. It's certainly not the repeatable way to do it. And all companies seem to need their people to be able to do to be able to do infrastructure provisioning efficiently right yeah no i absolutely agree with you 100 percent. and even from a networking perspective right like let's think about cisco cisco certs for however long they've been around yep. have never had anything around like development and stuff now look at cisco devnet yep they're implementing python they're implementing terraform they're implementing source control like it's pretty crazy we're seeing this paradigm <laughs> shift and it's wild yeah, some people it's, joke that the DevNet programs are, uh, are are basically just Python. It's mostly Python. Yeah. <laughs> some of what the, the comedy is not. But but no, you're exactly right. And there's there's yeah. even two levels of certs now. They haven't gone all the way up to the expert level, but they've done mm-hmm. the uh, the associate and professional level certifications. And from some of the people I've talked to who have gone through them, they say it's it's rigorous. It's it, it's the real deal, real business. So yeah, even Cisco yep. is committed. Juniper as well. They also have a couple right. of DevOps oriented certifications. So it's I was going to say it's coming, but that's not really true. It, it's here. It's just arriving yes. in different vendors in different ways as they as they sell their products to you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, like even if you think about it, like Ansible has had a ton of uh, modules for yeah. like Cisco and, and, and yeah. F5 and stuff for a really long time. Um, Python, I think like one of the popular frameworks is like Norner. I think maybe I'm pronouncing Nornier. that right. Yeah. Nornier. yeah. Yeah. So there's like there's a bunch of stuff already out there. It's at least from what I could see, it's definitely one of the tech spaces that is like lagging behind. Um, you know, it's very difficult to like find a networking job, I think, right now that's like, you're going to be doing all this programming, right? Versus like, if you look at infrastructure engineer roles and stuff and DevOps roles, it's like, you will be doing all this programming. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> you will be doing all this programming. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, uh, in, in my personal journey, uh, using infrastructure as code, uh, I, I've mostly switched over using Terraform for whatever I need to do uh, because initially it was seemed simpler and cleaner than CloudFormation and ARM templates, but it was similar enough that I didn't have to like relearn everything. It was just like, oh, okay, this in this in CloudFormation is equivalent to this in Terraform. Is that uh, are you mostly using Terraform for your IAC needs? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've. I've used CloudFormation, ARM, you know, uh, Puppet and Chef for like configuration management and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think Terraform at this point is, it's definitely the standard for sure. Um, you know, it's it's also one of those things as well where I hate to say it, but this is the truth, right? <laughs> Almost what's shifting the direction that we're going in right now is like, what's sexy, right? Like Terraform <laughs> is the sexy thing right now. Oh, yeah. um, whereas like JSON and CloudFormation is not. Um, there, there's also the conversation to be had. And it's actually funny we're talking about this because I'm writing a research report on this on infrastructure as code right now. Um, where like, you know, vendor lock-in right? Like ARM templates, cloud formation, even the AWS CDK, right? Like I don't, I'm not recommending anything to anybody that's vendor locking right now because mm-hmm. we, we don't, and we shouldn't live in a world where it's like, I'm only going to put everything on Azure and that's going to be it for the rest of my life. Like, no, like you should be thinking about hybrid cloud with stuff on-prem. You should be thinking about multi-cloud. You know, I'm working um, on a project right now, consulting where I have Lambda functions that are deploying uh, Kubernetes manifest to uh, Google Kubernetes engine, right? So I'm going cross-platform. Um, you know, like these are the things that you got to think about. So when you're thinking about infrastructure as code and when you're like, hey, should I use ARM for everything? Well, here's the thing. If you're going cross-platform, you're going to have to rewrite the Terraform code anyways, right? Because the providers mm-hmm. and the resources are going to be different. But here's the kicker. Somebody's already going to know HCL. And because right. they know HCL, they can go and they can write it. Versus if you just know ARM, you're like, okay, now I got to go learn this uh, cloud formation. Okay, now I got to go learn Google deployment uh, templates or whatever they're called, right? So it's like, you know, but if you know one thing, it's much easier to scale out. 
So yeah, I definitely recommend everything at this point. That's like not vendor locked. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you don't think learning Terraform and getting into HCL that you don't think that's its own sort of vendor lock in. I mean, is there a risk learning a domain specific language like that as opposed to something that's generic, let's say Python plus libraries? Yeah, I mean, there, there's always there's always that debate, right? Like there's there's also the debate of, yeah, you've been writing in Java for 20 years, but guess what? Now everybody's going to go and C sharp. So it's like there's there's definitely always that debate. Um, but what I will say is I personally believe it's like safer if you know something that can scale across, you know, any cloud, any on-prem versus if you just know one ARM template or you just know one cloud formation, right? I, I think it's just a little bit easier to scale out at that point. There always comes a decision where it's like, you gotta, you gotta like go down one path. You know, if you're mm-hmm. it's same thing with programming, right? Like if you're, you're either going to go with go or you're going to go with C sharp or you're going to go with Java, like you got to pick one and go down it. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I only work in zeros and ones so I can avoid vendor lock-in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Very oh, difficult to assembly do that. Language? Oh, you're locked into assembly language now. Oh. <laughs> it's, just, it's just binary for me. <laughs> I, I think in machine instructions. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's a valid point. I mean, uh, with something like hash, with something like Terraform, where it's cloud agnostic, at least, you know, it can apply to multiple different platforms. If you're learning right. a platform specific language, then I mean, some of the concepts, as you alluded to before in programming, those are all transferable. But the way right. it's implemented is going to be different across each platform. So exactly. that can make it real difficult. Yes. And, and then there's the other things about Terraform, too, that like is not vendor vendor lock in in terms of like if you're just using ARM or CloudFormation, like, for example, state files learning about, you know, what that state is going to look like versus in, you know, somewhere else. Right. Or just learning about how providers work now, backends work. Um, You know, there's like, there's all of these things that you can pick up and you can move across multi-cloud. The resources will be different in how you write them. Well, actually not how you write them, just the resource, Um, but everything else is going to stay the same. You know what I mean? What parameters look like, what variables look like, um, you know, what uh, TFR files look like, like all these things are going to all be the same. The only mm-hmm. difference is going to be the resource and where you're doing it. So it makes it a little bit easier. Right. Well, since HCL is obviously awesome and it's what we should do everything in. The reason we wanted to have you on the show is to talk about CDKs, which are something yes. different that are not uh, you know, a domain specific language. So uh, what is an advantage of adopting uh, a CDK or a cloud development kit instead of a DSL? Yep. So the, just to give it at the high level, you know, the only difference between a CDK, which stands for cloud development kit or like infrastructure as code, um, the only difference is it's infrastructure as code, but in a general purpose programming language. Mm. So, you know, instead of being locked in to HCL or to JSON or to YAML, whatever, you can choose Python go javascript c sharp whatever you want um so this obviously opens a lot of doors for people to number one be able to use a language they're comfortable with and number two and probably the most important in my opinion to be able to learn a language perfect example here Hmm. i know a lot of people that are sysadmins infrastructure pros and stuff they really want to learn programming right they want to learn python or they want to learn go but like they don't want to go out and build an application or something. So they're like, how do I learn this code? How do I learn this programming <laughs> language without doing that? A CDK is perfect. You could literally go into Azure, AWS or GCP, wherever, and be like, oh, hey, you're deploying virtual machines. Okay, now you can go do it in Python or you can go do it in Go or JavaScript. And boom, now, number one, you're creating automation. And number two, you're learning a new programming language. So there's like a lot of upside to it, honestly. Wait a minute, though. So, I, I, you know, when I, th- I don't think I'm still getting what a development kit is because you're saying I can use multiple languages. It just sounds magical because I'm thinking if it's Python, I look to a vendor who's written a library for their thing that I can then import that into Python and then call mm-hmm. whatever those objects, methods, whatever the library is, functions to do right. the thing and make it easy for me. But that does not sound like what a CDK is. No. So a CDK is going to be its own framework. So for example, let's say you're using the AWS CDK and you're going to use Python. They have their own framework that they have created, their own library rather. Um, So you wouldn't be able to like go and use somebody else's library. You have to use the one that's created. So 
Yeah, that, the flip side to this is you can import other libraries. So for example, let's say you're, I don't know, you're like creating a virtual or an EC2 instance in AWS, and you want to be able to output all of the data in like JSON or something. Well, you know, you could use the AWS CDK library, but then you can also import, you know, the JSONify library, and then you could, you know, export all of that and use the JSONify library and all the functions and the methods inside of that library to be able to manipulate your data. So you can use whatever libraries you want, plus whatever the CDK library is. So the CDK may or may not support my language of choice? Depending on the CDK, yeah. So for example, I would say right now, Pulumi probably has the most language support. Um, HashiCorp CDK, for example, it's very much in alpha right now. I think it's only supporting uh, Python and JavaScript, mm -hmm. I want to say, or TypeScript, Python and TypeScript. That sounds right. Python and TypeScript. Yeah. So, so it's really going to depend on like which one, you know, you choose like AWS okay. supports a bunch of languages. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so. right. I mean, I was misunderstanding because it sounded like the way you were describing it, the, the CDK, I could just pick a language and then apply the CDK and I'm off and running, but the CDK has got to support, you know, whatever yes. the language is and I can choose within those parameters. Um, exactly. And, and, and right, like you're saying, popular languages are, are much more likely to be supported and exactly, which all sounds cool if I'm a developer, uh -huh. uh, but I'm an operations infrastructure human. So why do I yeah. care about CDKs? Yeah. So this is, uh, I was actually hoping this was going to come up because I was thinking about how I was going to phrase this. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to preface this with something Um that is kind of valid, but uh, I want to dive into it a little bit more. So let me preface it with this. CDKs are very much in the ballpark of developers, people that are already writing Python and Go code and stuff like that, right? However, there is, you know, it's not just for developers, like, because this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, you don't have to go create the next Twitter or Instagram to write code. Right. You can go and you can write automation code like Bash and PowerShell and all this stuff to be able to do your daily tasks. The same same rules apply for the CDK. Like you don't have to go create the next Twitter or Instagram to use the CDK. You can be an infrastructure person or you could be, you know, a DevOps person or SRE or whatever. And maybe you want to learn a new programming language or maybe, you know, you're already doing all of your automation in Python, for example. So maybe you're like, oh, maybe I'll go use a CDK. Why not keep everything a little bit more flush as well? Um, I also think that the CDK, in my opinion, it will be very good for breaking down additional barriers. So like, let's say you have an app team and you know you have like a, a backend team and you have you know your infrastructure team and your backend team is writing you know in Python. And then the front end or um, uh, the DevOps team or the infrastructure team is writing in you know HCL and stuff like that. Well all this code sitting in GitHub, right? And this person doesn't know what this code is and this person doesn't know what this code is. But if everything's a little bit in Python, number one, it makes it a little bit easier for everybody to read, everybody to understand what's happening if everybody knows how to write in Python. Number two, you can write tests. And this is what I really mm -hmm. love about the CDK. I'm a firm believer of like test-driven development. So, you know, for me, it's like whatever, I can write the same test that I would if I was writing an application in the CDK. All the, all the testing frameworks, everything's the same. So that's like a huge selling point for me too, is, you know, what obviously, you know, you can lint your code, you can test your code, you can, you know, write tests for security purposes, all of this great stuff where you don't really have that in, you know, something like HCL. Although since Terraform 0.15, you can now do integration tests and stuff like that. And it's in beta, um, but you know, it's, it's not the same. So no, it's, it's a bit wonky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The developer kit feels like a toolbox. I crack it open and I got a whole bunch of tools at my disposal that just make it easier to, to do my job. Yeah, yeah. Anything, anything that you can do in Python or Go from like a testing perspective or where you can store the code or how you can deploy the code or where you can run it, like you could do everything the same way. Just because you're using the CDK doesn't mean it's like you can only do infrastructure as code stuff. No, you can still write unit tests and mock tests and integration tests, mm. and you can deploy them in Lambda function. You do whatever you want, you know, put them in a Docker image if you want to and deploy it to Kubernetes, whatever you want. Is it fair to say that if you use the cloud developer kit issued by that cloud provider, you're going to get better support, maybe from either from the community or from the cloud vendor themselves? 
Well, I think CDKs by themselves are still so new um, that, you know, the support specifically for the CDKs may not be there yet. However, on the flip side, the support for the languages are mm. there. It's yeah. much easier mm. to get support for Python than it is for HCL. Yeah. You know, if you got to go on Stack Overflow or something. So and again, because, you know, with CDKs, like just because it's its own product, it's still just Python and Go and stuff under the hood that you're writing in. So, mm-hmm. you know, all the language stuff is still all the same. Right. I think something that I want to pull pull on a little bit is there's different CDKs. And it sounds like, you know, if you're using the AWS CDK, then you're really only able to use that to create AWS resources right but if you're using another cdk that's by some sort of like third-party vendor i think you mentioned pulumi now i might have access to create resources in aws azure something Mm -hmm. on-prem is that the case yes yeah it's the same thing for like the cloud formation versus terraform debate um you know vendor lock-in and all that stuff it's the same thing if you're using the aws cdk it's just for aws but if you're using pulumi or the hashicorp cdk it's multi-language or multi-cloud sorry Multi-cloud and, yeah. and multi-language. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I can write in the language I know or or want to know, and I can write it to the target, the platform where I want to actually create things. And now I've I don't have to learn a new language necessarily if I'm already a developer. But I think something that really resonated with me that you said earlier was if I'm an infrastructure person, I've always wanted to learn programming. I've, mm-hmm. I I want to learn more about Python or Go, but I didn't have something that I could grab onto a project that could propel me forward. Here's an opportunity to do something that's actually part of my day job, which is, you know, maintaining or spinning up infrastructure. And I'm going to do it with a programming language that I wanted to learn. Here's a perfect opportunity to do that. I actually have something that's relevant to my job as opposed to, oh, you know, I'm just going to write an application for like a bookstore or something, even though I don't work in a bookstore, I don't own a bookstore. But that's exactly. like that's the the getting started project that that's yeah. given to me. So that, that's exactly. I don't know. This resonates with me a lot more. You can yeah, create a really big AWS bill so fast now, Ned. <laughs> <laughs> but I, oh. Cloud enables stupid at scale. We, we know that. <laughs> yeah, one no, it's, thing, uh, it's very cool. One of the things that I've uh, struggled with when it comes to infrastructure as code is dealing with custom objects or custom resources. To, to give like two quick examples, if you're in Terraform and you want to codify a group of resources together, you typically use a module, right? And that's, you know, just those resources are defined in basically a separate Terraform configuration that's invoked by your main configuration. ARM uses nested templates, so you can just mm-hmm. reference a separate template. I know in uh, CloudFormation, you can have Lambda create custom mm-hmm. objects for you. But all of those are very leaky abstractions. Yeah. When it comes to the CDK, can I actually create uh, just an object that's composed of all these resources and reference that object without having to worry about all the stuff in the background? Yeah. So the way that I would think about it is, you know, let's say you have front a front end application, you have a back end application, maybe you have some type of middleware application, right? You wouldn't put, you know, the front end code in the same file as the backend code. You wouldn't put, you know, the front end application in the same repository as you would the backend application. So I like to think of the CDK the same way. Um, you know, let's say, you know, for example, I have a repository that I'm, I don't know, spinning up just like a basic dev environment, right? Like a VPC, a couple of EC2 instances, some security groups, I am, all that stuff, right? Maybe I'll have that in the same repository because it's technically part of the same application, but I'm going to split it up into like its own separate directories, its own separate dependencies, all of that stuff. So I think of um, I think of the CDK very much more from like an application perspective than I do an infrastructure as code perspective. Yeah. And and that that might not be correct. Like, that's just my way of thinking about it, you know, because just with my dev background, it's just it makes more sense for me to think about it that way. Yeah. And, and that's that's like one big reason why, like, you know, with Terraform modules, for example, like I'm 
probably don't use them as much as I should because it's very like it's just like a wonky way of like and the same thing with like the arm nested templates and stuff. It's like it's just yeah, it's uh, it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> We pause this day two cloud podcast for an important message from one of our sponsors. Cloud is hard. Predicting cloud costs is even harder. What you need is a friend to help out. What you need is Zesty. Zesty uses AI to proactively adapt cloud resources to real-time application needs without human intervention. Now, I know, I, I know, AI is a term that gets thrown around a lot. There's a lot of hype and a lot of disillusionment. And that is because vendors try to get AI to do everything instead of the thing that AI is actually good at. And that thing is monitoring and optimizing repetitive and identifiable events. Guess what cloud cost optimization is? A problem of monitoring and optimizing repetitive and identifiable events. Zesty is using real deal AI in the way it was intended. Zesty's technology leverages AI analysis and autonomous actions based on real time cloud data streams to automatically purchase and sell AWS commitments. Or in much plainer English, Zesty looks at the real time data from your cloud resources and then makes smart purchasing decisions to save you money and you don't have to do anything. There's probably some alarm bells going off in your head. You just handed Zesty an unlimited credit card and permission to use it. That's scary. Fortunately, Zesty offers a buyback guarantee for any over-provisioned commitment. You're not going to get stuck with a pile of reserved instances you don't need due to a glitch in the matrix. That's because Zesty makes money when you save money. That's right. Their fee is based on the savings they provided to you. If you're not saving money, Zesty isn't making money. That's what we call friends aligned interests. The result is an average savings of 50% on EC2 and a mere two minutes to onboard your account. If you'd like a friend who saves you time and money, go to zesty.co and book a demo. That's zesty.co to book a demo and put your cloud cost optimization on autopilot. Now back to the episode. Michael, we talked about testing code and you mentioned that CDKs enable that, just make it easier for you to do testing. Can you maybe give us an example or dive into that in a little more detail? Because we get different kinds of testing. You know, how does it, uh, how does the CDK enable me to do that, that testing, which again, thinking about it, like from a networking perspective, Man, there's things you want to know are correct or valid in your environment, both before and after a test. And we, uh, anyway, we have those parameters all over the place. So uh, give us some insight. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think a, a good place to start with this is just like general infrastructure as code testing. So and then we'll move into CDK. So with infrastructure as code testing. So, you know, a lot of people aren't doing this, but they very much should be. You know, like I have a buddy that's an SRE at Microsoft and none of the Terraform that they write is not tested. Everything is tested. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the thing that I think about is infrastructure is code. It's just code, right? It should be thought of the same way as application code. Like you're not going to put an application into an environment, whether it's dev, UAT, or staging production without properly testing it, right? Without running an integration test, like is everything working the way that it's supposed to without running a unit test, making sure just at a very high level that it all works, a mock test, right? Actually implementing it. Yep, it works, destroying it. You're not gonna do you're not gonna deploy an application without doing all of these things. Nor should you with infrastructure as code. Like for a perfect example, I write tests uh, in Go for Terraform. Um, so you know I'll write like a basic mock test or an integration test where it's like all right, test all, test that you know everything looks the way it's supposed to. Plan it out, apply it, looks good. All right, now destroy the resources, right? So I think infrastructure as code testing in general should always be thought of that way. It shouldn't just be I'm going to put a thousand lines of code in my Terraform main.tf and just create all of this stuff and kind of walk away and hope for the best. Like, no, it shouldn't, shouldn't do that ever in any environment. Again, we're still at this philosophical level, but you're saying yes. you should know the result you're expecting and have tests that yeah. compare what 
is actually produced with what you think should have been produced. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, like I, I very much compare this with like, you know, life stuff as well. Like I'm not just going to go get car insurance and be like, I wonder what's going to happen at the end of the month. How much is it going to be? What does this actually cover? Um, you know, it's the same thing with like your, your code, right? Like yeah. with your infrastructure, like you shouldn't, you shouldn't just throw stuff out there and be like, Hmm, I wonder what's going to happen at the end. Like, no, like you should always know <laughs> what's going to happen, um, you know, in one way or another. Now infrastructure is code testing. It's obviously not as easy, right? Like, you know, if you want to do any type of Terraform testing, you got to know go, um, which, you know, hmm. makes it a little bit difficult. Um, but with the CDK, it makes it so much easier because, all of the language specific testing libraries and frameworks, you know, all of the linters and everything, like everything that's built either built into the language for testing or somebody created a library for it, you can use all of those frameworks and all of those libraries. So you really don't have to think too much about it when it comes to the CDK, which is nice. Um, and, you know, even like from a networking perspective, I mean, I, I would even say like, you know, let's say for example, you got, 10 Cisco routers and you got an iOS config and, you know, you want to be able to deploy it uh, at scale to, you know, 10 of these routers. Once it deploys to those routers, then the typical approach is to go in and make sure that everything's working, yada, yada. But wouldn't it be nice to like, know if it's working before it's all deployed and then you got to go in and then you got to wipe out the iOS config and then you got to figure it out and then redeploy it and then up, oh, this isn't working and then rip it out. And it's just like, you know, it, but if you could test it in the beginning, and kind of have a conceptual understanding of what should be happening, um, I think just makes everybody's life much easier. Right. I think you sort of alluded to two things when it comes to infrastructure's code testing, especially with Terraform. One, it doesn't have the built-in tools in HCL to do right. that unit and integration testing. So I think the tool you might be uh, referencing is TerraTest. Yes, TerraTest, yep. yep. Yeah, so that uses Go to do the testing of Terraform code. And it's just, yep. yeah. Uh, the other thing is when you're dealing with infrastructure, you're dealing with real resources like 10 Cisco routers where <laughs> running that update against those live machines can have pretty catastrophic consequences. So yeah. your testing suite needs to be able to do some sort of mock-up or, or virtual environments where it tests those changes and does some sort of verification that what you intended is what's actually going to happen on those devices. I don't know. Sometimes the business just needs to be reminded how important the network is. If you got to take it away to show them your value, that's worth it. <laughs> yeah, right, right until you get that pink slip. Right? <laughs> Either that or, or job security. You'll get one or the other <laughs> if you fix it properly. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. And by the way, yes, yeah, I was referring to TerraTest. My apologies. I like, I always forget. I always just like default to the language. But yes, TerraTest is the framework that I'm referring to when I'm talking about Go. Um, yeah, so I mean, even, you know, one of the things too that like comes to mind is, let's say you got, again, let's take 10 Cisco routers, right? You know, and you got an iOS config. Well, at this point, you kind of got an iOS config that like, Either, you know, you're passing around or it's in one place. People are going somewhere to get to it, maybe on some router or whatever in a lab environment. But like you could take that iOS config and say, like, put it up into GitHub. And now yeah. everybody on the team in, in different countries, if it's a global organization and stuff like everybody has access to it, and everybody can see what's happening. And, you know, you could run certain tests against that. And, you know, there's it opens up yeah. doors. Yeah, I've talked to people that have done have taken this approach, uh, Michael, and they'll it won't even be the entire config. It will be portions of a config that do specific things within the network. Here's our BGP standard. Here's our, here's how we do NTP and, you know, and so on. And they'll even, I interviewed a couple of guys there. Their whole thing was to, to break it down by device per function. And then they had a, basically mm. a matrix of code that would live in GitHub. And mm. their, um, they had glue code that would, based on what it was that they were deploying and where they were deploying it to, would pull mm. the entire thing they needed to push together based on that matrix that, they, that they'd created. Mm. It was quite elaborate, but gave them an incredible amount of flexibility they ended yep. up there. They didn't start with that, but that is ultimately right. where they ended up with that level yep. of uh, complexity that gave them that flexibility to think about infrastructures coded in this broken out way. It was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, man. I, uh, I see a lot of really cool stuff happening in the networking space around like, you know, 
turning it a little bit more Devi. Um, and and it's, yeah. it's some like really, really cool stuff out there for sure. I'm, I'm definitely excited to see where that space goes 100%. I'm glad we're talking about code repositories because that's actually where I wanted to go next. In terms of using CDK, when I organize my IAC code, it's usually in a separate repository from the application code that's going to be running on the infrastructure I'm provisioning. And Mm -hmm. I've seen some people combine it together in the same repo, but they're going to be in separate directories, different deployment processes, all that kind of jazz. Does that change at all when you're using a CDK because now you're using the same language or do the two still live pretty independently? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, you don't put the you don't put different jobs into the same repository. Like I wouldn't put back end code in the same in the same exact repository as front end code. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with the CDK. You know, I wouldn't put like, you know, back end Flask app with the CDK that's deploying my Kubernetes cluster. Like I wouldn't put that in the same repository, but in terms of like deployments and stuff, I mean, that could also be very much the same as well. Like if you're using GitHub Actions, for example, to deploy your application, yeah, use GitHub Actions to deploy your CDK code or use it to deploy your IAC code, you know, deploy it for all that stuff. Yeah, I think like the deployment process and all that, it, you know, you should never have to like, use this CICD vendor for infrastructure as code and this CICD vendor for application <laughs> code, unless you got something like real specific, like, you know, you're using something like BitRise to deploy to like mobile CICD and stuff like that. But that's like very few and far in between. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a build portion of the, the CDK code that you're writing? Because I know usually with IAC, there's not really a build process there's just take that code and deploy it so is there something with cdk where you're actually running a a build that creates some artifacts well i i would say like even for iac code like there there is the um i would say there's definitely could be the need of like say uh creating an artifact for it maybe you know saving that in like jfrog's artifactory or something like that and then using that artifact in your cd process if the if the infrastructure code isn't changing so like for example let's say you're you're specifying a vpc for a dev network and you're like this isn't going to change you could build an artifact out of it and then use that artifact in your cd pipeline and just deploy it out um and i would say probably the same rules apply for like um cdk however typically in the ci or the build process that's where you're testing so you're doing your unit testing mock testing and stuff like that so if you're if you are running tests which you should be then yes you that there's definitely going to be the ci process for that for sure okay okay and when you're using a cdk let's say you're using the aws cdk does that Mm -hmm. spit out cloud formation code at the end it does yeah okay yeah so it so what's really cool about it, um, and even the HashiCorp CDK as well, you're writing it in whatever language, but at the end, there's a template, right? It's spitting out some like Terraform configuration for HashiCorp, or if you're using the AWS CDK, um, it's spitting out like a CloudFormation template or CloudFormation stack and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it is using that stuff on the back end, but you don't like ever have to touch it or anything. Yeah. Okay, so it's generating the the code that then another tool would use to actually do the deployment. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. That, so it's really all infrastructure as code at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the difference yeah. between you writing that YAML or JSON versus having yeah. uh, your code generate that YAML. Yes, and I think it makes sense, like from an ease of use perspective. Like I don't know about you guys, but. I don't want to sit there and write JSON all day. Like I just don't want to. It's not fun. It's not interesting. Happy to consume um, it. Don't want to write it. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, using something like the CDK, it it takes it takes away that that frustration. You know, even with YAML, like I I don't know which one I'd prefer to use. I'd rather write JSON than YAML, man, but YAML's not my friend either. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it, exactly. Yeah. Like I'd probably prefer to write JSON because it's a little bit easier for me conceptually to read a key value pair. Yes. But like some with YAML, for example, like some people don't like white space based languages. And that's why some people don't like Python. Um, you know, so you know, if you're if you're if you're if your uh you know platform is just YAML, like people might just not choose you just because of that. I guess, you know, especially I, I, if an engineer is 
is making a decision. Dude, that's my experience just hacking around with Kubernetes. It's like, why? What is wrong? Oh, white space. Got it. Okay. Yep. That's why I don't like white space languages. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Every time I tried to learn Python, that's the thing that's that's pushed back on me so hard. Yep. It's like, oh, I got the spacing wrong. Why can't the spacing just be right? And yeah, uh, yeah. when I, but I mean, mountains of JSON doesn't help either. When I no. first started with CloudFormation, and this was many years ago, so pre-support for YAML, it yeah. was just JSON and you were writing it straight and there were barely any functions in CloudFormation and there was no loops, yep. <laughs> nothing like that. So you need three instances of that resource. You're going to copy and paste that three times. And I yep. hope you got your commas in the right place. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's such a huge thing. And it's like, I think that's a huge thing for the CDK as well. I mean, you guys hit the nail on the head, like YAML, white spaces, JSON, you have a comma here. Is it formatted properly? All that, yeah. like, that's enough for like whiskey o'clock to like start at 10 a.m. Because it's like, I don't want to deal with this. Like, <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, if you're doing it in a language that you're a little bit more comfortable with, it makes things a little bit easier. Now, I know CDKs are supporting this, but I do hope that CDKs start to support things like Bash and PowerShell and, and stuff like that. I think that it'll make the adoption for infrastructure folks a little bit easier as well. Speaking of, you know, infrastructure folks and what they're writing in, uh, I think the most popular tool right now is probably VS Code for yeah, everyone probably. who's writing any kind of code. Yeah. Uh, and I know there's extensions and linters for something like HCL. Are Do those do the extensions for Python and Go all understand the CDKs and what's mm -hmm. expected in there? Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, it, you're just you're just writing it in the programming language. Like nothing's different. Like the CDK isn't like, oh, you need to do this in Python because it's a CDK. Like, no, nah, it's nothing like that. It's just like, you, you just care about the language. That's it. Yeah. The okay. only difference is you have to use the library, like the AWS CDK library or the yeah. Pulumi library for Python, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Like, like, like a good example of this is, you know, Pulumi, let's say you're using Pulumi, um, Python and Azure. There's going to be a specific Python library for Azure that Pulumi wrote. That's the okay. only difference. But the rest of the language is 100% the same. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It sounds like we should talk to Pulumi at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Pulumi's good. Yeah. Yeah. They, they got some really cool stuff going on. Um, arguably, they're... Uh, they're still depending on Terraform for a lot of their stuff. They're still depending mm. on uh, Terraform providers and stuff like that. Um, but they they sort of are their own separate entity. But yeah, they, they are still depending on like Terraform providers and stuff for for a lot of their resources. Yeah, you make it sound like um, it's really just like using any library. So if I'm in you know a code editor that's aware, I've got hints and I've got you know all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff that's there that gives me knowledge about the library, even if I don't know everything that the library can do for me. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, are there any anything weird drawbacks, gotchas that I should be aware of when using a CDK? No. I mean, it, the biggest the biggest thing to just keep in mind is that some CDKs support some languages, some don't. Yeah. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. pretty much yeah. it. And if um, I've got the match you know, with my language and I can bring it into my IDE or code editor of choice, it's yep. going to behave the same. I'm going to have the tooling that mm -hmm. I'm used to using in my editing environment is going to function the same. It's yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess that's it's all advantage. It feels like. Yeah, everything's 100% the same. Like whether you want to use VS Code, whether you want to use Goland for Go Code, whether you want to use PyCharm for Python, whether you want to use, I you know, love PyCharm. <laughs> I love PyCharm too. Um, yeah, you know, whether you, whatever you want to use, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. If someone wanted to get started on using a CDK, they may be a little already familiar with ARM templates or CloudFormation or, or whatever infrastructure as code tool they're using today. What would be some good resources for them to get started? And feel free to plug your own stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, I'll... Um... I'll keep, I'll keep my plugs a little bit short. Um, but yeah, you know, my YouTube and stuff, and I have a bunch of blogs and stuff and out there for all that good stuff. Um, but you know, a lot of these vendors, they, it, the documentation is pretty solid. Like Pulumi's mm -hmm. like, uh, documentation is pretty solid. Um, AWS and uh, their documentation <laughs> is always a little, but it's all right. Um, you know, like, they're, you know, <laughs> HashiCorp's um, documentation is always really awesome. Um, so they're what they have for the CDK right now. Again, it's still very much alpha, I'd call it. Um, you know, that that documentation is there. So, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, that's one place, but that's only half the battle, right? Or 
30% of the battle, actually <laughs> 70% of the battle is learning the language. So, you know, you're going to want to go out to your, you know, your plural site or your CBT nuggets or do whatever Udemy, um, Udemy, whatever you pronounce it and, <laughs> and pick, you know, whatever course you want to watch from there and stuff like that. So yeah, all those, all that stuff is really out there, but yeah, 70% of the battle arguably is learning the language. Um, cause the CDK, it's like, really the only thing that it is, is it's just a library. They're just giving you a library <laughs> yeah. to go use for whatever cloud, but you know, you got to, if you don't know the programming language, you're, you know, you're not going to be able to use the CDK. So. Right. Well, even if you won't plug it, I will plug it that you have an excellent YouTube channel with some really Thank good you. videos on using the CDK. I watched some of them yesterday as preparation for this and uh, nice. just well explained, well produced, uh, good audio, which, you know, I'm always uh, persnickety about. So if folks are looking for that, we will include links in the show notes. Is there a, what what's the name of your YouTube channel if someone just wants to plug it into Google? Yeah, I think you could just look up uh, Michael Levan, L-E-V-A-N, and it'll pop up. Um, I think like the URL is slash cloud dev engineering. Um, and then you'll just see a banner. It says infrastructure software, um, which is maybe even something we could talk about too. But the inference <laughs> between IAC and IS. But yeah, so those are a few different places for sure. Gotcha. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we ask our guests to summarize uh, the episode with some key takeaways. Do you have any key takeaways you'd like to share with listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I think probably falls under two or three. The first one is you don't have to be a developer to use a CDK and you don't have to be a developer to go learn Python and go and stuff. Go learn it. It's super fun. Um, you know, you don't have to, again, be, you know, you could be either in networking or you could be in infrastructure, whatever the case may be. You could still use these programming languages and stuff as well. Um, and then the third thing is, try to make everything as repeatable as, as possible. You know, I, I feel like that's, you know, a large thing from an engineering perspective, but you also have to think about it from a business perspective, you know, wherever you're working, like once you understand the business, it's much easier to do your job. And at the end of the day, all businesses want something that's repeatable and they want something that's going to be a little bit faster and a little bit more efficient and doing that, uh, you know, doing a job from an automation perspective is, is typically far more efficient um, and, and reusable than just clicking around the UI and stuff. So yeah, those <laughs> stay are, those out are of the UI things. people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't, don't go in the UI. <laughs> awesome. Well, Michael Levan, thank you so much for being a guest today on day two cloud. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. You bet. And hey, listeners out there, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you've got suggestions for future shows, you know what? We'd love to hear them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow, or you can fill out the form on my fancy and brand new website, NedInTheCloud.com. Did you know Packet Pushers has a weekly newsletter? It's true. It's true. We do. It's called Human Infrastructure Magazine. You are the infrastructure and it's loaded with the best stuff we found on the Internet, plus our own features, feature articles and commentary. It's free and it does not suck. So that's a good thing. You can get the next issue via packetpushers.net slash newsletter. Until next time, just remember cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. <laughs> <laughs>